Hola mi gente, what up my people, my name is Pastor Rich Colon, I'm the lead pastor here at Santos Church, broadcasting to you live from Southwest Detroit, Michigan. Wherever you're listening from, I'm glad that you are listening. This podcast is meant to do one of two things, and that is either bring you our message content or it's content that we thought would enrich our message content. We'll have more information at the end of this episode on how you can get connected with us either in person, online, or on social media. But for now, thanks for listening to this podcast. Gracias para escuchando esto podcast. And let's get into it. Vamos. Okay, motivation, it's, it's, it's the thing, this uh, uh, minutiae, this thing inside of you that propels you to act and to move whatever the end is, right? So if you're motivated by your health, then the action that comes out of it is maybe eating better or working out, right? And so motivation, what is our motivation? We all have them. We all have many different motivations. Sometimes we compartmentalize the goals and the things in our life, and so we have multiple streams of thought and multiple motivations. Over here, maybe we're motivated to uh, get a better job. Uh, Maybe we want a raise or a bonus if it's motivations at work. Um, If you're motivated, like I said, by your health, maybe you want to, like me, lower your blood pressure, lower your uh, cholesterol, lower those things. Maybe you just don't want it to be awkward when you go see your doctor. Maybe that's your motivation, right? Um, Maybe if it's in your relationships or your friendships, maybe your motivation is in your relationship you're looking at pursuing marriage and you want to start taking things a bit more serious. Maybe you're married, but you want to start, uh, you're motivated to start a healthy family, right? There's a number of motivations that we can have in different areas. Sometimes our motivations are obvious to the people around us. Maybe the things that you post on social media, maybe the verbiage that you use when you talk, maybe the things that you say, maybe the people you hang out with are are all fueled by such an obvious motivation that people around you can see what you're about. And I think that's the case for a lot of things that we do, right? Like uh, a lot of us are motivated by our social life. And so the people we hang out with, there's not a lot of depth there, but we're motivated just to be social. So we'll take whatever relationships we can get. We'll be a part of whatever we can be a part of, even if it's not uh, core to who we are or it doesn't affirm what we believe or our own personal values. Sometimes our motivation is just to be so social that we'll take whatever we can get and it's obvious to people around us. You've seen this, like you'll look at people and you'll be like, now why are they doing what? You know that they're not really like, they're really like, all they're trying to do is they're trying to, right? Like, it becomes obvious sometimes you wear your motivation on your sleeve, and it's intentional. Sometimes, though, your motivations are subconscious and unintentional. Sometimes just the talking heads and the voices around you and the things that you, uh, I won't say accidentally, but I'll say unintentionally allow into your life become such a strong influence that they have pull and power over what you're motivated by. Maybe you watch a YouTube channel so much that now you start to talk and think and act like this influencer. Maybe you listen to a certain kind of music so much that uh, you, you start to feel politically different, right? Maybe you start to hang around people so much or you have conversations with people in your workplace so much that it starts to play in to how you talk and how you act to other coworkers just based off of a relationship here, their motivation becomes your motivation and now you act different because they act different. Sometimes it's subconscious and unintentional. Maybe your motivation is something deep that you keep guarded and you don't want to think about. Maybe you've been so hurt and you're 
you speak now angrily or defensive. Maybe you're hurtful to the people around you because you're motivated by the fear of being hurt again. We all have motivations and they all push the way that we act. We all have an underlying thing that drives us or underlying things that drive the different parts of our life. A motivation behind why you talk, act a certain way, why you strive for certain things and want to achieve certain goals, why you value and prioritize some things and not other things, what you're willing to commit your time to but not willing to give your time to. A number of things influence this. And if we're honest, a number of things can motivate us. So as a believer, the question that we want to ask, and why we call this whole thing motivation is this. As a believer, I believe that if you look at Scripture, if you draw close to the heart of Jesus, that there is a common motivation that should work through all of us. I don't, I don't, I don't care where you work. I don't care who you're married to, who you hang out with, how many kids you have if you don't have kids, if you don't want kids. I, I don't care what box you check politically. I don't care. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there is a uniting common denominator motivation that should power us. And today what we want to do is talk about that motivation. And then for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how our life intentionally based off of this motivation will show and speak to people around us what we are motivated by. So the question today for you is this, and you have to answer honestly, is at this point in time, what are you most motivated by? Amen. Is that, is that Daryl again? Daryl, silence you. No, it wasn't Daryl. If it was Daryl, it would be Usher. Daryl still got a, Daryl still got a Jamster subscription. Amen. I missed you guys. Okay. So if you would go with me, I told Alyssa I'd read the scripture slow, so I'm going to read them slow. If you would go with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, 28. Mateo 28. I was in Puerto Rico. I came back more Puerto Rican. Praise God. Got it? Matthew 28 and the... The verses are 18 through 20. 18 through 20. They'll be on the screen for you if you need them. But if you are a student of the word, like Alyssa is, you brought your Bible. Amen. Man, what a good, what a good sister in Christ. Wow. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You guys uh, have heard this. Many of you will be familiar with this. Uh, But if you are not, this is what we refer to as the Great Commission. This is when Jesus is about to leave the earth, ascend to heaven. And as he ascends, he leaves his followers, his people that believe in him. He leaves them with some instructions, some imperatives, if you will. And these are the imperatives. And, and, and I believe that if we look at this, you will see what the common denominator is for all of us. You'll see what the motivation is for all of us if we are pursuing Jesus with the right heart. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. So Jesus came and told his disciples. This is after the crucifixion. He's crucified. He's resurrected. He's appeared to his followers now. And now he is about to ascend to heaven. The final time before he comes again. So as he's about to ascend, this this is the final imperative he gives them. Jesus told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven 
and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Pause real quick. A a, a primary uh, imperative for Jesus was this. Go and share the gospel with people. Go and share my message with people. And as they believe, their next step after believing me is baptism. So if you believe in Jesus, this is just an open call and invite to you. If you believe in Jesus and you've never been baptized, let's get you baptized. Amen? Amen. When you believe scripturally, you can, you can follow the trend. Scripturally, when people believe in Jesus, they get baptized. Right? So Jesus says, uh, uh, take, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Let that sit for a minute. Jesus is about to leave. He did it. He did what he said he was going to do. He lived this life. He taught them how to live. It wasn't just that he he came, it's that he lived in front of them. He showed them a new way to live. He showed them that things didn't have to be like they thought they were. He showed them that there was a, a level of grace that you move with, a level of forgiveness that you act out of that, that really when you apply these things, they are so upside down to the way we are used to living that, that they're going to cause some people uh, some problems. It's going to blow some minds. It might make some people angry. It might make some people question. But Jesus came to show not only is he the way to eternal life, but, but that he has life now for us. And if we live in that and apply that, it changes everything starting here and now, not just then and there. So Jesus does this, and now he's about to leave, and he says, I'm going. And now that I'm going, here's what I need for for you to do. I need you to go and and share this with people. People need this. And as they believe, baptize them. Then after they're baptized, don't leave them. Teach them. Notice he didn't say here, hey, hey, whoa, whoa. Uh, who here feels called to be a pastor? Who here feels called to be a, a deacon, an elder? Who here feels called to, uh, to, to ministry? Who here feels called to, to, to local church? He didn't do it. He said, listen, if, if you are my follower, here's what I want from you. I want you to, to take me with you wherever you go. Be ready to give an account of this everywhere you go. And as you do, baptize people. And as they're baptized, help them grow in, your, in their faith. And, and, and he uses this phrase that I want to highlight today. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. So the question is this, what are the commands that Jesus has given? When Jesus says teach them to obey, does he mean the Ten Commandments? Does he mean the, is is there like a pocketbook that we get now when we believe in Jesus? Because remember back then they they didn't have this. this, they They had the first half of this. But they have the second half of this. They were living the second half of this. So, so when Jesus tells them, go and, and teach them all that I've commanded you, he's not talking about the Old Testament. He, and, and he's not talking about the New Testament. So what did Jesus command? And what did Jesus tell us to share with people? If you have your Bible, sister, Acts chapter 2. 
I want to cross-reference this for you and show you what this looks like in action. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. 2, 42 through 47. Okay. Here's what that says. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's what you need to know. When Jesus says, teach them all that I commanded you, now that, that, beca- that is synonymous with apostles' teaching. So all that Jesus commanded them to teach as they're teaching this, it, it becomes so common, uh, commonly taught by his people and by his apostles that now the shorthand of that is no longer, well, we're teaching all that Jesus commanded. Now it, it becomes known as the apostles' teaching. So, so you could have went to somebody in this uh, early Christian culture and said, uh, uh, you know, do you adhere to the apostles? And they would have known it's this set of things. These are the core beliefs that are being handed down to us. So when Jesus says, teach them all I've commanded, all I've commanded equals the apostles' teaching. Okay, bear that in mind. So all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper. This is what we would call communion, and some would call Eucharist. And to prayer, not or, not occasionally. The the conjunction here is not interchangeable. It is this, and this, and this, and this. These are priorities. But the one I want to show you today is the one that ties it all together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And because they devoted themselves to that, verse 43 says this, and a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. As a pastor, I hear a lot of this from from family and from friends who don't have a high value on gathering together as the church in the church. They'll say, well, why do I got to go to church? I believe in God. I don't need to go to church. I I got God right here. I got this relationship right here. We we devote ourselves to this teaching, and when we see that devotion, it, it elevates... These traditions, these things that are just part of the heritage of believers from the beginning. We're generous. We meet together. God works in the midst doing signs and wonders. We worship together at temple, but hold on, at the temple, the church, each day. Y'all think, y'all think meeting four times a month during the summer is a lot? These fools were so hungry for God's presence and community together that they prioritize. I don't know if here literally each day means every single day, seven days a week, but, but I do know that they did it a lot, a lot, and nobody twisted their arm. It was a, a genuine desire to be together because they had a common expectancy that when they gathered together, God was going to show up. See, and this ain't part of the message, but side note, if you and I approached church and thought about church that way, Man, how different would the church look? If we showed up and we didn't think, man, I got to drag out of bed and get there by 11, but really worship don't start till May. If they set the countdown back, maybe 11.04, 11.05, then I got time to get a donut. They're doing two songs. So really, as long as I get there by like 11.15, I'm good. If we showed up and we said, listen, 
when I meet with my brothers and sisters in church, God is going to do something. God is going to use somebody there to speak to me. God is going to use me to speak to them. Maybe we'll meet somebody new that needs to hear about Jesus and we can share this one. They had this excitement because they actually believed what they were being taught. So their priorities, their motivations shifted. So they met at the temple and worshiped each day. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. That Lord's Supper means communion. That's different than like eating and asking God to bless your food. They were, listen, they were taking communion together in each other's houses. You think, just picture how beautiful that is for a minute. Somebody invites you over. Hey, you want to get pizza? Yeah, for sure. You show up before you cut a slice of pepperoni. You sit down and they're like, hold up. I got some bread and some juice or wine. Yeah. Depending on how saved you are, juice or wine. And, and before we do this, let's honor the presence of God and what he did for us together at my table. Together. And they took communion together. And then they got to the pepperoni pizza. You feel me? It, it wasn't one or the other. Can you, th- th- this only happens when, when the motivation stretches from beyond whoever's perceived to have the leadership or perceived to have the proximity to God and it jumps off onto God's people. Once we all get that motivation, it changes everything. Yeah. And you start to see Jesus, I believe, how he intended for himself to be seen and experienced amongst us. But it's not over there. And they shared meals together with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. Now check this out. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. If you look at the Great Commission, here's the cool thing is that Jesus says, Teach these new disciples to obey all that I've commanded. And be sure I'm with you to the end of the age. Jesus said, show people who I am. Tell them about my life. Tell them that I gave my life so that you may have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And when you do that, raise them up in their faith. Baptize them. Raise them up in their faith. And, and when you do that, know that I'm with you. I'm, I'm the motivation. I am the gas in the tank fueling this work to happen. And then, and then we see a church. That's what Acts 2, 42 through 47 is. It's one of the first iterations of a church. And you see this church put it into practice. They took Jesus at his word and put it into practice. And when they did, oh my good golly, look what happened. They did it and at the end of it, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship people who were being saved. You guys, when we are motivated by the right things, God doesn't just add one here and add one there. And God wants, wants his church to be a force to be reckoned with. God, and not a, not, a, not a force that crushes or pushes or bulldozes people. God wants his church to be a force for change and resurrection and life and newness in the world. And when we actually do it, 
God promises to be with us. And how do we see that he's with us? He brings the results. And when he brings the results, what happens? It's not a trickle. It's a flood. People see. Can you imagine the world that we live in today? The division, the divisiveness, the polarity between people. Can you imagine if God's church did this and did it on display? And we took it so serious that you and you and you and you and you and me all lived in this way. People would look at it and go, oh my goodness, what is this? You you guys, how how is this possible In, in in the world we live in today? How is it possible that people live like this? Because we've devoted ourselves. That means we prioritize it above all else. Let's keep going. All the believers, not some, not the leaders, not the pastors, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So it comes back to this. Jesus says, what is this hinge on? Teach them to obey what I've commanded. And then Acts says, we're going to teach them to obey what you've commanded. So now all believers are devoted to the apostles' teaching, what he's commanded us to give to you, the apostles' teaching. So what is it? What, 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 that's the overarching question. What is it about this teaching that is so motivating for the church to change everything about how they live? So all that Jesus commanded is also called the apostles' teaching. I'm going to read you just the notes that I have here. They'll be on the screen for you too. If you are a note taker, here's your time. If you want to take a picture, here's your time. But they'll be up on the next few slides. Here's what the apostles' teaching is. You ready? Essentially, all that Jesus commanded and the apostles' teaching, those phrases are summed up in this. That is a shorthand way of saying, tell them everything you learned from, this is Jesus saying it, everything you learned from me, everything you saw me do, and everything you heard me say. Tell them about me. All that I've committed. So when they're sitting with Jesus and Jesus says, let the children come to me. Tell them about that. When they're arguing about who gets to sit at the right hand of God and Jesus checks them and puts them in their place, tell them about that. When Jesus says the Son of Man came to serve and not be served, you tell them about that. Tell them about my life. I, I, I want to I broaden. A lot of times we hear this What is the gospel? Maybe you've heard that term gospel. This is the gospel. And and a lot of times we we put it in this nutshell of Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus was resurrected. So, So now we will have eternal life. So we talk about the gospel like this. Here's the gospel. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we couldn't die, forgave us of our sins, resurrected, and now we have all, all have eternal life. Boom, that's it. That's the gospel. But guys, listen, that is a narrow gospel. Is that the gospel? Yes. Is that the full gospel? No. If we teach this as being the end-all, be-all, then, then that creates in our church and in our churches, that creates onlookers, that creates spectators, but it does not create followers or disciples. What you need to know is this, is that Jesus lived to show us how to live now. 
And yes, he did die to give you eternal life. Yes, he did die to pay the price for your sins. Yes, he did die to bring you into his kingdom. But he lived and he said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundant. He's talking about here and now. From the moment you believe in me, the gospel begins to reorient your entire life. So we have to be careful when we talk about the work of Jesus to not just relegate it to death in eternity. Your life and what you do here today matters. Jesus wants your life here today to reflect him. Jesus wants your choices, your words, your actions, your relationships. He wants them to be saturated in him. And it all takes us to be motivated by this reality. Tell them everything you learned from me. Tell them everything you saw me do. Tell them everything you heard me say. In other words, this is what it'll say up there. It testifies to who Jesus is in light of his own life. Not just that he lived. He lived sometimes we glaze over that. He lived, he died, he resurrected. But, but how did he live? Not just that he did live. But how did he live? What did he do? What did he value? What did he prioritize? So that way we may see how to live. That there is a new way to live as citizens of the kingdom. The apostles' teaching also testifies to who Jesus is, not just that he lived or how he lived, but because he himself is the life. Jesus says in his own words, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not a truth. And I am the life, not a life. I am the only, that is to say, I am the only way to gain access. I am the only truth. Not, oh, well, that's true for you, not true. No, 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 listen, there's there's an underlying truth. There are laws and things that are unseen that govern reality. And at some point, it just is what it is. And Jesus is saying, I am what it is. I am the truth not a truth. If what's true for you is true for you, but it's not true for me, then what is the truth? Jesus says, I'm the truth. I'm the underscoring thing. I'm the underlying thing. I'm what it all comes back to. There's a truth. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. He has come to show us that we may have life and life more abundant. Now, This will also be on the screen for you. I'll just read it straight how I wrote it because that's how I wanted to say it. Jesus was saying this to his followers. He said, tell them, when you teach them all that I've commanded, when you give them the apostles' teaching, this is what it is. Tell them that because I am who I said I am and I have done what I have come to do, you have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but you also have access to abundant life, eternal life. Eternal doesn't speak to a, a duration of time. Let me, it, it does, but it's twofold. Eternal is not quantity only, it's quality also. You possess eternal life here and now. You don't possess it in eternity because it's eternal. You get the qualities of eternal life here in the temporal world you live in. Eternal life is your quality and quantity of the life that you have now inside of Jesus. You have abundant life, that is to say eternal life. There is an eternal kingdom for sure. 
and we will go to it one day. But the kingdom doesn't start in eternity. The kingdom begins now at the moment you believe. His kingdom has come into your life. This is why John the Baptist went around proclaiming, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Because if you would just believe in him, the kingdom takes its place in your heart. Eternal life becomes your reality. At the moment you believe, and here's the kicker. If that's real for you, it should change everything. It becomes your motivation. What's your motivation? This teaching should be your motivation. The reality that Jesus is who he said he is should be your motivation. The reality that he gave you access to better life, abundant life, eternal life now should be your motivation. The fact that he forgave you and calls you to forgive others should be your motivation. The fact that Jesus says, teach them to follow and devote themselves to all that I've commanded you. That means if we read it and Jesus gave it to his followers there, he gave it to his followers now. This is our motivation. So not to say you can't hope to be promoted. I I hope for that. I got a job too. I want to be promoted too. I need that for my family too. But if I don't get it, and even if I do get it, you know my overarching motivation is in life? That I could be a vessel for God's abundant life to flow through me. So even when I'm at that workplace trying to get that promotion, my ultimate motivation is to look for opportunities to bring other people into this kingdom, to show other people this apostle's teaching, to bring them into this too, so they might know Jesus, be baptized, and follow this for their life too, so that they might go out and do it for somebody else too. This is our motivation. So if you're a believer, what we would call a Christian, know this. You're not supposed to just be a a believer or a Christian. In saying that, other synonyms with believer and Christian are this, follower, seeker of Jesus, student of Jesus, disciple of Jesus. I don't know where we come off thinking that we can be disciples that don't do what the master did. That's bad discipleship. If you're a disciple, you do what he did. We are people who do. Are you somebody who does? Someone who is motivated to action on behalf of this message, this gospel, the apostles' teaching. It should be your deepest motivation. The reality of this, Jesus is real. He died for the world to be reconciled to himself. And before he did die, he lived a life that, check this out, I'm going to throw a word at you. It was prototypical. That means he is the prototype. That means he is the standard. That means he is the stencil. That means he is the measuring stick. It is prototypical. He didn't live in such a way that we couldn't attain it. He lived in a way so that we could follow his, his leading. He was very careful to, to live, live in a way. This is why some people go, well, well, why didn't Jesus just snap his fingers and cast the devil out? And why didn't Jesus just do this? And do? Because Jesus was our prototype. He knew he was living in a way that he wanted us to be able to live. He comes and he is the prototype. He lived in a prototypical way to show us that the traces of eternal life touch this 
world, when you and I devote ourselves to living the teaching that's been handed down to us. I'll say that again. Jesus lived in a prototypical way to show us that the traces of eternal life, eternity literally reaches its hand down and touches this world when you and I devote ourselves to living and teaching what's been handed down to us. Devotion. And since it's been handed down, we're playing hot potato with it. The early church fathers, they're, they're also known as the apostolic fathers. These were people who either knew Jesus firsthand or knew people who knew Jesus firsthand, right? So it was either their homeboy or they had a homeboy that was homeboys with Jesus. And we get our earliest church writings from these church fathers or apostolic fathers. And, and they have this, this saying, this is what they do. They say, we only hand down what's been handed down. We keep our message pure. We keep it as close to the heart of God and real to what happened as possible. So we get our message from the people who knew him. That's where we got it. And we hand down what they gave us. So you get what we got and that's what they had. That, that's beautiful. Like we are part of that family. Your culture and heritage as a Christian, right? Like I was in Puerto Rico for, the, for, the, for a week. A week. With Diego and Olivia punching and kicking and flipping out on each other. And it was really cool because obviously if you didn't know, uh, we're Puerto Rican, right? And watching Olivia experience the fullness of her culture was beautiful. When we go to a restaurant... And Olivia gets to order tostones or mofongo or acapuria or we're on the beach and she's seeing some like, you know, Puerto Rican like abuelita cooking up bacalaito. And Olivia's eating it from their hand. They're handing it to her and she's taking it. She's like, oh. <laughs> wow. She's experiencing the fullness of her culture. Olivia cried when we landed on the island. She's talking, and she's going, wow. She's looking out the window, she's pointing, she's going, wow. They all have hair like me. They all are, they have the same complexion as me. Wow, daddy, they look like grandpa. They look like grandma. They look, they all bear these traits that unite us. And it's powerful for her. When you devote yourselves to this teaching that's been handed down, I want you to, to grasp it like this. You should be finding yourself amongst your people with your culture who share this tradition and share this teaching from the beginning of when Jesus first handed it out. When you follow this and devote yourself to this teaching, you are devoting yourself to the same teaching that came off of Jesus' mouth and flowed out of Jesus' life to his earliest followers, and here in 2023, that's your heritage as a Christian. That's your culture as a Christian. That's your tradition as a Christian. It shouldn't make us feel dumb or stupid or, or alienated or separated from popular culture or from what people say because we live in a time when everybody wants to have the new theory. 
We live in a day and time when everybody wants to have a new revelation, a new enlightenment. Everybody wants to have this, oh, I don't do that because that's, we, oh, you get all that from old books. and all Now, like, I, I'm, all, I'm, I'm manifesting. I'm, I'm being enlightened over here. I'm but like, You ever see those radio flyer wagons? Like the metal wagon, red wagon with the black wheels on it. It's just got a little handle. You know, they still make them, boys. I visited my grandma one time before she uh, passed away, and she had one. It was rusted, it was dirty. Eat her, eat her, eat her, eat her. You hit it with a hose, it's the same red paint, black wheels black handle that they've always made, and you can still get them today at the store. You want to know why it's the same? If it's real and it works, it doesn't need to be changed. You want to know why the church has stood the test of time? Why this apostle's teaching is still effective to save souls today? Why it's still all we need to hand down and it's all we've needed handed down to us? Because it works because it's real, because it stood the test of time, because it stood opposition, because people, though they may try to disprove it, it can't be disproven because it's true and it's real. And Jesus is who he said he is. That's the motivation. We hand down what's been handed down. You are getting a faithful message. The early church fathers knew it as this, teaching and tradition. Teaching What Jesus taught, believing in the right things, and tradition is buying into and living into the family of faith and heritage that's been laid out to us. The apostles' teaching and traditions within the faith testify to teaching and draw us into the heritage and history of the family of believers. In other words, you are part of something sacred, and you are part of something beautiful. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says this, and the band can come now. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says this. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Plant your feet. Prepare for challenge. Be ready to stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we've passed on to you, whether they're by word of mouth or they come through, this is cool, letter. We have what we have because somebody took this serious. Whether it's by, it was all word of mouth, and then somebody said, let me put this in some letters. And somebody saved those letters, and somebody binded those letters, and somebody translated those letters, and somebody gave them to us so that we may believe what's been handed down. Stand firm in this. Hold fast to this. Put your hope in this. Put your faith in this. I'm going to take it a step further for you. Orient your life around this. I'm going to take it a step further. This ain't in my notes. I just feel the need to say it. Find your idols and burn them for this. Your motivations that don't line up with the heart of God, that's an idol. 
the things that you prize more than this, the things that you treat with more priority and value than what's been handed down to us, burn it. Your life has a new gravitational pull, and it's to the Word of God. It's to the teaching that's been given to us. It's to the heritage and the life and the family of God's people and living the life that he called us into. If we're believers in Jesus, we are motivated by him and his call for us. We are motivated. Shorthand way of saying that is we're motivated by the apostles' teaching. And if you really are, then your life will bear the fruit of it. So I ask you what I asked you in the beginning. What's your motivation? Carmen and I were talking to a couple of other um, ministry peeps in Puerto Rico. They took us out to lunch after church. Joelle and Deborah were their names. They were sharing a story with us of how Uh, we'll backpedal. We were in the parking lot and I'm playing, not in the parking lot, but we're like (laughs) waiting outside the restaurant by the parking lot. And I was playing with Camila. I was like swinging her. I had to say not in the parking lot because if I'm swinging her in the parking lot, that's just crazy, right? But I'm swinging Camila. I'm holding her by by one. This sounds terrible actually now I'm saying. I'm holding her by one arm and one leg and we're just doing this. And I'm like, and she's loving it. She's loving it. And Joel, the brother from the church, is standing next to me, and he's looking, and he's going, he's like, man, oh, I could never do that. And I'm like, bro, this is tame. You should see me at home. I'd be throwing him across the room. Like, I just. He's like, no, no I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Oh, oh, that scares me. He goes, she fall, if she falls on the, they have a little daughter, she falls on the ground and skins her knee or something, I cry. I cry. Oh, okay. We go inside, sit down, have lunch. And as we're talking, he shares with us that in the ninth month of their first pregnancy, they had a stillborn. And it all made sense. Oh, this is why, because this little baby is the most precious gift in the world. Because you just went through hell and back. They talked about how hard it was for them. He said, man, I thought this was going to end our marriage. Had the name of his son tattooed on his arm that was stillborn. Then he proceeds to tell me how for the past several years, even through this, they've driven almost two hours to church every week. I said, yeah, how long have you been on staff? He goes, I'm not on staff. What? Yeah, no, I'm not on staff. I volunteer. So, oh, that's, that's dope. You just have two hours? I literally, I was like, two hours, bro? I don't know if you, did, you guys know the geography of Puerto Rico. You get anywhere on the island two hours. From this side to this side, it's an hour and 59 minutes. From this side to this side, it's an hour and 59 minutes. Like, it's, you, like you're driving the whole island to get to church. And I said, why? He goes... God told me to. Even as a pastor, there's some things that when people say, you're like, "Ah, all right, look, okay, listen. 
So I was like, okay, no, like, but for real though, like, 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 when he said he told you to, what you mean he told you to? Nah, man, like we prayed about it. He's like, we lived two hours away for a while through the pregnancy, through the stillbirth, two hours away. We moved a little bit closer. Now we live like 50 minutes away, but still an hour, multiple times a week. They're there like three times. If y'all know Spanish church, Spanish church get down. They, they, t- they meet in the temple every day, right? Like they, they take it for real. And uh, I said, why? That's a lot. With everything you're going through. So, yeah, no, he goes, we, you know, we, we definitely had to give that the attention it needed, but we couldn't, I, I couldn't stop. I knew that this is what it meant. This is what God has called us to do right now. So, so we do it. We just, we, we're just faithful because God asked us to do it. The other night we were with Chris and Janelle and uh, we're at a park right here in the neighborhood. So, you know, people out there, you know, like blasting it. And so it was, it's actually a pretty cool scene if you could picture it. Chris and his like chonkless, uh, and th- those are flip-flops. For, and uh, he's in his flip-flops and uh, uh, we're all out here like spilling ice. The kids are spilling ice cream everywhere. My kids are running around barefoot. Uh, you know, like it's, it's, it's chaos. And in the background, we got like mariachi music blasting and like, you know, Diego's peeing on a tree somewhere over there. Like it's just, it's crazy. And we're having one of these like God conversations with them in the middle of stuff. And we were just talking, and we were asking them, if you didn't know, Chris is a missionary uh, to Wayne State, and uh, they moved to be closer to Wayne State, to their mission field. Uh, They moved closer into the city now to do that. We were just talking about ministry and talking about the calling. They were just like, said, man, this is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, but we wouldn't do it if we didn't believe this is the call on our life. And Chris and Janelle just echoed that. And they, Janelle said, yeah, it's hard, but that's why we're all here. What I'm, what I'm sharing these two stories with you for is this, is that when Jesus is your motivation, I'm not putting us up on a pedestal. I'm not saying get like us, live like us, because we got it right. I wish you knew how many days I wanted to go hide under a rock. I wish you knew how many days I wanted to hang it up. But at the end of the day, I can't because my motivation is what's been handed down to me. And I believe with my whole heart that Jesus wants people to know him, that Jesus wants people to be baptized in that baptism tank that leaks and ruins ceiling tiles in the basement every time we have a baptismal. And every time we baptize somebody, Anita's got to do laundry, and i got to go down to the basement and sweep him off the floor, and Frank's got to come reseal the baptismal tank. And then the next time we do it, we do it all over again. And it is hard and it is frustrating and it is, it, sometimes it's heartbreaking. Sometimes you feel like you just got beat up week in and week out. But we are here because I believe in the deepest part of my heart. My motivation is that people would hear Jesus, get baptized, be raised up in their faith, and that all of us would have some kind of buy-in to where we really live this out. And today, look around, we are this, but tomorrow will be more, and tomorrow will be more, and tomorrow will be more, and tomorrow we'll have that, that, that balcony full, and after that, we'll need another service, and after that, but here's what it takes. 
It takes you, not just me, believing that for your life, Jesus has to be your motivation. That in your workplace, somebody right now needs to know this teaching that's been handed to you. And you are called, not me, you are called to share this teaching with them. And when they come to you and go, well, what do I do with this? You say, come with me to church. Let's get you baptized. And then when they go, what do I do after this? You go, listen, this is the story that we've been given. This is what we live our life by. And if you do... We will worship together. We will live together. We'll break bread together. We'll share meals together. We'll cry. We'll laugh. We'll do all this. And at the end of it all, he will do what he promised to do. Many will be added to the kingdom of God because you were motivated by him. That is the motivation for your life. So I'll ask you one last time. Today, if you're being honest, not with me, if you're being honest with yourself, if you're being honest with Jesus, what are you really motivated by? Because if you're a believer in Jesus and it's anything other than the message that was handed down to us, that you're trying to stand firm and you won't do it, you can't do it. All other ground is sinking sand I pray that you would make Jesus the motivation of your life listen it's gonna call you to sacrifice I know (laughs) I know it's gonna hurt you I know look at me I know you'll be betrayed I know. But you will have the deepest joy you've ever felt in your life. Look at me. I know. And you'll see God do things that you never dreamed of. I know. What's your motivation? Let me pray for you. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to the Santos Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by what you heard today and that it moves you towards action and greater faith in Jesus. If you'd like to connect with us more, you can find us online at santoschurch.org. And that's also a great place to give if you'd like to contribute to the ministry and our mission here in Southwest Detroit. If you're on Instagram, you can connect with us at Santos Detroit or Facebook, and it's facebook.com slash Santos Church Detroit. If you find yourself in the Detroit area, we'd love to have you in person Sunday mornings at 11, 1953 Military Street. Either way, hablamos pronto. We'll talk to you soon.